I'll be honest, I think there is a lot to be said about that truth. That if we truly want to experience God's destiny for our lives, we're going to have to remove the comfort in our lives. We're going to have to step out into a place of trust and faith. And when we do, supernatural things happen to our very natural lives. So often we simply wonder why the magical things aren't happening in our lives. And the reason why? Well, we're still hanging on to all of our security, wondering what might happen tomorrow. Disappointed when it doesn't come. Anyway, something to think about. Hey, friend, I hope until next time you will be well and you will be blessed. We'll see you next week here on The Semi-Seminarian. Uh, so I, I am going to go ahead and get started here. Um, we're at the halfway point of our study of these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. We're now going to uh, switch to the time in which Elijah's successor, Elisha, begins doing his uh, ridiculous work for God. And uh, we'll talk about all of that over the next couple of weeks. We'll also... In a sense, uh, I'm not sure if it'll be next week or the week after where we'll, we'll say goodbye to Elijah, but really not goodbye, more of a see you later, because if you don't know the story, Elijah is one of the people that's, that's taken up in a chariot to heaven and doesn't, at least scripture doesn't record his death, okay? Uh, so, uh, and then Elisha will fully take his over his role as prophet of the people from that point. Um, but we are getting into the point of the story where Elijah is has heard from God that it's time to appoint his successor, and that successor is Elisha. So tonight, all we're doing is focusing on Elijah, finding Elisha, telling him what's going on, and looking at Elisha's response it's kind of crazy for a Wednesday night Bible study because it's not going to all we're, we're going to look at first uh, Kings 19 19 to 21. That's all of the scripture we're really going to look at tonight because the whole story is wrapped up in just a few uh, verses of scripture. Uh, Elisha's story is related to us in the book of Kings first and second Kings. Uh, According to the story, he's a prophet and a wonder worker of the kingdom of Israel who was active during the reign of, and these are the kings that Elisha will serve over a course of 60 years as a prophet. Uh, he'll serve under Joram, Jehu, Jehoaz, and Jeshash. Sorry, Joash. Uh, Elisha, is a, his father's name was Shaphat. And Shaphat was a wealthy landowner right here, kind of where my finger is in the middle of the map, right here, kind of in the middle. That is um, Abel Minhulah is the name of that place, Abel Minhulah. Um, and he, as after our story here today, will become the attendant and disciple of the prophet Elijah. His name first occurs in chapter 19 of the book of Kings. In the command given to Elijah from God to appoint him as his successor, after learning in the cave on Mount Horeb, okay, Horeb, rather, 
Now, uh, let me pause time out right real quick so we can set ourselves time and place. Okay, just real quickly, let's get the time and place back in our heads. The time of Elijah and Elisha comes to us in 800 BC. That's the 9th century BC. The, um, if you recall, King David is at 1000 BC. You may not, but you do now know. Uh, King David, his son Solomon will take over and build the first temple, right? And then after Solomon... There becomes a succession of 19 wicked kings. The Bible says that each king more wicked than the next, right? Remember that? Okay, so in this span between 1,000 and 800 is when we have the bad kings who find the people of God, the land of God, completely in disarray, right? They're not even serving God. In fact, uh, as we paid attention through these last four weeks on Elijah, we find that not only are people... Uh, turning away from God, but the king of Israel is actually helping do it. Him and his wife Jezebel are actually turning the people of God away from God. That's how bad things have gotten, right? So, uh, and if you recall, last week we talked about how to be depressed and we used this great example of Elijah for our own lives, when we see Elijah doing all of these wonder-filled things in his life, he's performed miracle after miracle. He has seen for himself God's faithfulness and God's provision through a multi-year drought. He's able to pray and get it to rain. He's able to pray and get it to stop raining. Right? This guy has got God bouncing out of his ears. Right? And, and he gets into one little verbal spat with Jezebel who threatens to kill him and he runs as far as he can. Remember? He ran as far away as he could. He even left his servant and by himself went further. Okay. Where did he go? Okay. He's down here off our map in the Sinai Peninsula. It's kind of over by Egypt. Persian Gulf, or the, sorry, the Arabian Sea. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The Arabian Sea. Way down here, and he's in a cave at Mount Horeb, which isn't even on our map, right? Uh, Mount Horeb is thought to be the place where Moses was given the Ten Commandments by God. Some people place uh, those events taking place on Mount Sinai, and uh, still other people say, uh, Mount Horeb and Mount Si are just two names for the same place, right? Um, let's see. What's, uh, the big, what's the big mountain in uh, Alaska? McKinley? Yeah. And Denali, right? The indigenous people call that mountain Denali. If you look at a map, it might even say Denali probably slash Mount McKinley. Two names, same mountain. Way down here. Run as far as he could, remember? And he gets uh, the word from God. He needs to appoint two kings, and he needs to uh, go and find Elisha and uh, anoint him as his successor. And God says, go back on the way back to Damascus, and on the way you're going to run into this guy, Elisha. He's way down here off the map. Damascus is up here in the right-hand corner of the map. Okay, so he's going right up this route, right here. And right here, I have it circled in yellow. I'll put a little green arrow. Is the place of El Menhulah. You just heard me mention that because that's where 
Elisha's from. Okay? 800 B.C., 800 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Eight centuries before that. And right here in really Samaria, which is a whole nother uh, Bible study, the difference between Israel, Judah, and Samaria. A whole nother deal. But in Samaria, right here kind of in the middle of our map, is where we're going to find our story tonight. On his way from Mount Horeb to Damascus, Elijah will find Elijah will find Elisha plowing one of twelve yokes of oxen. Uh, Elijah will go over to him, throw his mantle, his Elijah's mantle, around the shoulders of Elisha, which will basically uh, ceremonially, ritualistically invest Elisha with the office of prophet. Right, This sharing of the mantle is a public proclamation of not only a certain type of blessing. In this instance, Elijah uh, relinquishing his prophetic role to Elisha and also serves as teacher-student. We'll talk just a second about this in a second, briefly. Uh, it's throwing your mantle over your st- whatever protection I'm under, you're now under as well. Okay, That would have been... A lot more of an important thing, show, throwing your coat over someone's shoulders, back in a day where you spent a lot more time out in the weather than we do today, right? <laughs> back in that day, in 800 B.C., uh, your clothing that acts as protection against the elements was a lot more valuable uh, than, than we consider them to be today, and so that act would be a much bigger deal to people that would have seen it. Elisha will end up only delaying long enough to follow Elijah, just long enough to kill the oxen, uh, the yoke of oxen, whose flesh he boiled it with, uh, boiled with the wood of the plow. After he'd shared this farewell dinner, right, with his father and mother and friends, and the newly chosen, pro- uh, the newly chosen prophet went with Elijah and ministered unto him. Elisha becomes Elijah's close attendant until Elijah's taken up to heaven, which we just talked about and we'll talk more about in a week or two. During all of the years, uh, we hear nothing, uh, all of these years here in the beginning, uh, it's always going to be in relation to Elijah. Because Elisha, while receiving the mantle of Elijah, as long as Elijah is still around card-carrying, doing his thing, Elijah's still number one, right? Okay, and so just kind of, while Elijah's still around, we're always going to learn about Elisha, but in relation to Elijah. So we're going to start a four-week series, Life of this Old Testament Prophet, Elisha, that we're going to call A Tale of Ridiculous Faith. But tonight, our story is going to be called There is No Plan B. Story that Elisha is going to teach us is a value of removing a plan B from your life so that you can focus on plan A, okay? I want to say very sincerely that I believe for many of us, the next four weeks can be defining moments in our relationship with God. We should have one goal and purpose only, I hope that we do, and that is to allow the teaching of God's Word to build our faith so that we too can have, like Elisha, a ridiculous amount of faith. Now, if you're old school, right, ridiculous can be, uh, uh, have a negative and a positive connotation, right? 
Something that's ridiculous can also, you know, that's ridiculous in a, that's stupid manner, or that is so good, it's ridiculous, right? We have all, like, bad, remember, for those of us of a certain generation, I remember as a kid when bad became good, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Later on, sick. Sick is now used in that same kind of way, right? Where, you know, um, if I was sick, uh, I might throw up on the bus, right? Um, But if you're sick today, it actually uh, is a cool thing. So ridiculous, say, ridiculous in that sense, kind of faith. I hope that we can get there in a, in a good way. So what I want to do is I want to look at Elisha because I believe that God can and will build ridiculous amounts of faith in all sorts of ways in our lives. So again, let me continue on with the context. Tonight's reading comes to us from the first book of Kings, the 19th chapter. It's just after all this business of Elijah running down here off the map, right? It's where we find 19 to 21 tonight. It's a guy named Elijah. People get Elisha and Elijah mixed up, right? Elijah has this bold, daring faith. Elisha, pardon me, wants to be just like him. And will actually uh, ask of all that he wanted, kind of the way Solomon got, is asked by God, what does he want? And he asks for wisdom. He could have asked for gold. He could have had silver. He could have had power. He could have women. He could have, God said, you can ask me for anything that you want. You can have it. And he asked for wisdom. Elisha asks for a double anointing of the blessing that God put upon Elisha. And in fact, will receive it. And how do we know that? Because if we actually look at it, we find that Elisha actually performs more recorded miracles in, the, in all of Scripture with the exception of Jesus Christ. Elijah performs more miracles in the stories of Scripture than anyone else except for Jesus. And what I think when you think of how important that is, what I think is very interesting about Elisha is how he's actually just a very ordinary guy. He's not from the priestly line. He's not the son of a priest. He's not a monk. He's not any type of outward spiritual giant. He's just an ordinary guy who's living at home with his parents. Right? He's working out on the farm when God calls him to do something incredible. Again, the context in which we're living, 9th century B.C., the Kingdoms are divided. There's the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Great tension. People were worshiping the false gods of Baal. God raises up the prophet Elijah, does something extraordinary in his life. So let's look at this interaction between Elisha and Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 9, 19 to 21. It's all the verses we'll study today. Let's read them and break them down. Verse by verse. That's called Exegesis. Isn't that a great word? Exegesis. So let us exegete these verses. Verse 19. So Elijah, this is the older one, Elijah. Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphan. He was plowing 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Right? So he's on the end of the end of the row here. 
And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him or his mantle. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He gets up to the prophet and he says, let me just kiss my father and my mother goodbye and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Right? Oh my gosh, I did not expect you to respond that way. So Elisha, Elisha left. He went back. He took his yoke of oxen. This is crazy. And he slaughters them. And it gets even more ridiculous. He took his plow and his equipment, right, that he used to work the ground with his oxen, and he burned the plow and the equipment to cook the oxen and gave the steaks to his friends, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant, right? This is the beginning of a ridiculous story. So let me tell you where we're going to go. Again, like I said earlier, this is really just an introduction uh, to Elisha tonight. But let me talk about where we're going to go over the next couple weeks. Next week, we're going to see something I think that really speaks to me uh, because so many of us, because our faith is too small, we're afraid to dream big. Right? You have such little faith that you don't even realize that your dreams are too small. Right? And at the same time, the same time we're not willing to dream big, some aren't willing to start small. Right? Dream big, start small. And we're going to look at a story where Elisha will ask some people to dig some ditches in a valley long before there's any rain and tells them that those ditches are going to fill up. He's going to be able to, they're going to be able to use them agriculturally. God's going to expand our faith so that we can think big, but at the same time be willing to start small. The third week, we're going to look at another widow. Elijah has the story of the widow and the sons. This is the widow and the two sons. Another widow who's desperate, right? If you're going through a tough time right now, if you're going through difficult times and you're wondering right now how am i going to make it this poor lady is about to lose her two sons and all she has to her name is a little jar of oil and all she could see was what she didn't have and god through the prophet of elisha is going to show her she had everything that she needed to do everything that god needed her to do and this story will build your faith and then in the fourth week, as we wrap up the study of these two Elijah and Elisha prophets, we're going to look at a crazy miracle. Because this will speak to some who might at one time were passionate about God. They were really on fire for God. But then, that, then, but then somewhere along the way, just lost their spiritual edge. We're going to look at a miracle where an axe head, heavy, axe head, metal, falls into water sinks to the bottom and Elijah is able to throw a stick out and have the axe head float back to the top of the water so that they could get the edge back. Huh? So that's how you do it's preacher goofy stuff. So <laughs> I'd like to look at the commitment of faith, the ridiculous commitment of faith Elisha makes, right? Whenever he in his own life kills any option of a plan B. Because isn't that kind of, as a farmer, by killing his oxen and 
roasting them with the with his plow and his equipment, he, he doesn't have an option for work tomorrow, does he? He's got nowhere to go at this point but forward. It's a ridiculous commitment of faith. Middle of the verse of 19, Scripture says Elisha was applying uh, 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Now what we're going to see here, I hope that we can, is that he's been doing this job for a long time right again the dad is a wealthy landowner elisha still living at home has grown up has grown up working the land he's done it all of his life and here when elijah finds him he we find him at his parents farm driving a yoke of oxen and it's something you may not think about but it's it's interesting to think about, and that is think about the monotony of what it would must be like to plow behind the same yoke of oxen day after day after day after day after day after day. What do you smell? Right? That's probably sick, but not in the good way. Uh, oxen residue. What do you see every day behind the plow? Right? What's the scenery? <laughs> oxen rear ends. Oxen tails. Oxen behinds. That's your scenery every day. And it is not cool. It's bad. Now, you might feel, when you put it in that terms, you might feel a little bit like Elisha. Maybe you're not looking every day at oxen rears. But you're doing the same thing day in and day out, and your life can get monotonous. You're going to the same job, working with the same people. You're like, oh my gosh, all I've got are oxen rears all around me, right? Maybe you're in sales. It's day in and day out. You make your quota, and it starts all over again. This is so monotonous. All I, all I do is live up to some standard that once I achieve it, it I turn and go right back and start over again. Right? No good how no matter how good sermon was on Sunday morning, right? Monday morning shows up and there needs to be a new one for next Sunday. Right? You just you don't ever get that opportunity. I don't find this monotonous whatsoever, but same thing, right? This is where Elisha was. Literally though, with the oxen. But I want you to know, notice, sorry, I want you to notice how he was being faithful with his task at hand. Elisha was where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to be doing. And he was faithful to his work. And I believe with all of my heart that God loves to reward those who are faithful in little things. When you're faithful with a little bit, you, can, you will know that God can then trust you with much. And Elisha, even though it might not have been his favorite thing to be doing, <clears throat> even though it was incredibly draining physically and emotionally, he was faithful. And in the middle of his faithful routine, being where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to be doing, we find God showing up in his life and starting to do something incredible, something ridiculous through him. 
right? Verse 19, the end of the verse, Elijah, the great man of God, right? Elisha, looking up, would have looked up to him. Elijah went up and threw his cloak, right? Again, uh, the cloak or the mantle probably was an animal skin or a fur. He puts his cloak around him like we talked about uh, earlier. It is a symbol. Whatever protection, whatever provision I'm under, Elijah is saying, you're now under. As God has been working through me, Elijah is saying, God will begin working through you. So I want to apply this story to our lives. And I want to be able to look at two principles of ridiculous commitment. I'm sorry. Ridiculous commitment. And watch how this ordinary uh, man responds to an extraordinary call. The first principle that I'd like for us to note tonight God's going to call him to follow Elijah. And Elisha is not going to know any of the details. Right? Number one that Elisha shows us is this. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to obey. Sorry. Understand fully to obey immediately. When God calls you to do something, you don't have to know all of the details. Right? Verse 20, here's how it happens. First, Elijah puts the cloak around him. Then verse 20, Elisha, the Bible says he has left his oxen, and he simply said, let me kiss my mom and dad goodbye. Let Let me kiss my mom and dad goodbye. Right? And notice... Scripture doesn't record, at least. Elisha even had to think about it. He certainly didn't take time to pray about it, even. Right? Oh, by the way, did a pastor say that? I'm just saying, because there's a lot of times where we need to make decisions. And we sometimes use the delaying tactic of, well, let's pray about it. Well, if you already know from God what the answer is, act immediately. That's what Elisha does. It's a split second Elisha has. Elisha, just let me kiss mom and dad goodbye. God, you've convinced me, right? I believe God is working in my life. Now, this immediate action stuff, I want to go down just a quick rabbit hole on this because... I don't want this to get misunderstood. Don't don't go around flying off half cocked. Okay, it's not what I'm saying. This is to be able to live this way. Actually, takes intentional planning in your life. It takes intentional planning because for sometimes for you to obey immediately, you're gonna you're going to have to use time perhaps that you have created in the margins of your life where you're not running yourself so ragged that you don't even have time to hear the word of God, mm-hmm. right? Maybe it's something that's, that you're going to be called to do that's going to require uh, finances. And if, you have, if you've spent every dollar and there's no margin left over, you might not be able to obey immediately like you need to. We have to create spiritual emotional, relational, financial margins in our lives where we're not just consuming everything that enters our sphere of notice. 
data, information, entertainment, whatever it might be, right? Money, a big one, that's probably the easiest one for us to visualize in our head, right? We have to have margin in our lives. And when we create that, intentionally create that margin in our lives, it gives us an opportunity that we actually could stop planning for the future and respond to the present, right? We should be able to want to immediately respond to God in our lives, to, to opportunities that I'm not too smart, I'm not smart enough to predict about in the future. I don't know that I'll recognize what they look like in the future, but I do know what they look like in the present, right? And, and you guys know this, I'm sure many of you, the way God leads you is often by not giving you all the details. And sometimes I am absolutely convinced that God strategically is vague with the details. One, because if you knew all the details, you, you may not like all the details and you won't. And he needs you to take step 85, but you're not going to go past 15 because you know all the details and you know step 16 sucks and you don't want to take it. And you don't end up going where God needs you to go. Sometimes, sometimes it's strategically good. We don't know what we don't know. That's right. On purpose. Right? In the Old Testament, in Hebrew Scripture, when God gave Moses direction, Abraham, you could sum it up very easily. Moses, go. And he goes. Abraham, go. Where? To a land I'll show you. You mean you don't even know the name of it yet? Oh, you don't need to know that detail. Just start walking, Abraham. Go to the land I'll show you. Peter, in the New Testament, Jesus walking on the water. Peter's like, hey, that's sick. <laughs> right? Ridiculous. Dude's walking on the water. And he says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me. To come. And what does Jesus say? Come. One word. Go. Come. I don't know all the details, but follow. One word. Come. Some, sometimes I think when God speaks to us, sometimes when he speaks to us, sometimes I think in just one word. I don't know what it might be. Maybe it's a marriage struggling. Maybe you're thinking about cashing it in. And that one word might be stay. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. And you stay. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's for a health issue of someone you love. And God gives you just one simple word, trust. And you hang on that one word and you obey. Some, maybe there's an idea. Maybe there's an idea for a ministry, a business, a book idea, whatever, right? Something that you need to be doing in your life. And, and you start with the how, when, why, where, right? How are we going to pay for it? I don't understand stuff. And God will give you a word that says start. Don't worry about the details. Start. Right? Others have been hanging around church for a while. You're kind of starting to grow with God, but you're still just observing, not participating. Maybe that word for you might be commit. 
Don't just watch what God is doing in other people's lives. Get involved and commit. We don't have to understand everything to take the next step. Maybe it is for you one word from God that's going to be crazy enough, ridiculous enough for you to say, I don't know all the details and I, I don't know and don't care to know, but I do know this, I'm going to fully obey immediately. That's number one. Number two, second principle, right? Those uh, God uses often are the ones that hold on to the least. The ones that God uses most often, often the ones that hold on to the least, right? Watch what Elisha does in verse 21. Elisha left him and went back and he took this yoke of oxen. Again, like we were just talking about, this is not just, this is just a symbolic like um, sacrifice, but it is that. It's not just that though. Again, like I said earlier, it's his livelihood. His plows destroyed. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat so that he could serve steaks to his buddies. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Right? God's calling me to follow this prophet, become a prophet, become like him, maybe even become better than him. So what do I do? I kill the cows and burn the plows. Right? That's what I'm going to do. That's ridiculous. Right? Again, kill the cows part, there's probably some symbolism. But in the end also, it's him saying, I don't need a plan B. How do you, want, how do you like your steak? Medium rare? Coming up. Right? There is no plan B here. There's only plan A. Right? Uh, and, and, and look, we, we might find this incredibly admirable. But put yourself in the, uh, put yourself in the sandals of shape, his dad. What if your kid comes to you and says, I'm leaving to go follow the prophet? Yeah, buddy, listen, I love your religious fervor. I love your faith. But why don't we at least hold on to some of our options? Okay, I mean, you might be a liberal enough like shape it to go, okay, go and try it out. But don't kill the ox and, the, and burn the plow. What happens if you need to come back home? Right? I mean, as a parent, I can't help but think of what the dad must have been like. Like, don't do that. That's just silly. But... The further we dive into Scripture and we see it with this fresh set of eyes like this, there are often times, often times, where people are so moved by God that they do ridiculous things to follow Him. Right? Whenever Jesus encounters Peter for the first time in Luke, Peter was having a bad fishing day. And Jesus came and said, throw your nets on the other side. And you guys remember kind of how it describes, I think in the, the, um, uh, the chosen really shows this, right? How does Peter respond? What do you know? I'm the fisherman here. You think I don't know where the fish are? Okay, whatever. 
I'll just do it, right? And what happens? Reacts, God reaction shows up in a crazy way. And, and that story ends up with Jesus saying, from now on, you won't just fish for fish. But I can help you fish for men. Scripture says something crazy like, burn the, uh, burn the plows and kill the cows. The, the Bible says the disciples, they left everything. Right? And we read that, and we don't even think about it. Contextualize that for your life. Leave your job. The, the job maybe you trained for, maybe you went to college for, uh, maybe you apprenticed for and, and dedicated years of your life to learn a craft and to perfect that craft and then one day just go no more. Your hometown, right? You look at the house you grew up in and as you're leaving town, you set fire to it. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Sometimes when you are so convinced God has convicted you in such a way that you just turn around and you set the bridges on fire. You've got no turning back from that point. Something has happened in you and your life is never going to be the same again. That is what all of the stories in this book are. These are either stories about people who had an encounter with God that was so incredible that their lives were changed forever. Or they were written by people that had some encounter with God that was so incredible that their lives simply couldn't be the same again. And after that encounter, they woke up and said, I've got to write down what I know. Why do we have these stories thousands and thousands of years later? Because God burst through into the world and people's lives in such a way that they knew almost instantly that their lives were never, ever, ever going to be the same again. And they had to do something about it. Right? Ordinary people responding to super ordinary uh, calls of God, right? Sometimes we can reach that kind of conviction. And, And I hope that each one of us at some point can get to having a plow burning faith. That you're willing to do whatever it takes to follow and obey God next. Maybe, maybe you need to burn a plow. I don't know what that might be in your life, but if there's anything that's keeping you from serving God, burn the plow. If there's a sin that's holding back, burn that plow. If there's a doubt in your life, set fire to it. If there is a relationship holding you back, commit arson on it. Right? Don't let anything keep you from following God because you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And often, those that God uses most are people who are willing to hold on to the least. Some Christians suffer with a poor spiritual life and they wonder why this doesn't feel like it should and they're still holding on to their blankie. 
whatever that blankie is, right? Something that keeps you, in quotes, secure. And friends, never, ever, ever forget this. To step towards your destiny, you will have to step away from security. For you to experience the destiny of your life, you are going to have to step away from security. God is going to speak perhaps to you and give you the faith to believe that he's calling you to do something new. Because you may just be looking at ox rear ends right now. But in your faithfulness, God may call you to do something even greater for his kingdom. So have the faith to go, even if we don't understand fully. And let us be the people that hang on to the least so that God can do the most through us. Any questions? Thanks, buddies. I'll be honest, I think there is a lot to be said about that truth. That if we truly want to experience God's destiny for our lives, we're going to have to remove the comfort in our lives. We're going to have to step out into a place of trust and faith. And when we do, supernatural things happen to our very natural lives. So often we simply wonder why the magical things aren't happening in our lives. And the reason why? Well, we're still hanging on to all of our security, wondering what might happen tomorrow. Disappointed when it doesn't come. Anyway, something to think about. Hey, friend, I hope until next time you will be well and you will be blessed. We'll see you next week here on The Semi-Seminarian.